Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Buenos tardes, mi amigo. Hola, my good friends. Cinco de mayo on Tuesday. And I hoped we'd see each other again. You killed my brother last winter. Shot him three times in the back. Night, I still hear Mama weeping. Mama still dresses in black. Welcome to Mikey Likes You, you puto. Very special show today, or tonight, or this morning, whatever time of day you might be listening. My true friend, Dr. Drew Pinsky, board-certified physician, addiction medicine specialist, man who is worldly and has he is a bon vivant with great charm. He has a certain je ne sais quoi, and he is my buddy. Uh, we dive into a lot of stuff that is certainly based in wellness. Come in, Harry. Come on. Let's go. Come here. Fine. Um, it's based in wellness, but we also go into territory that, look, I'm not necessarily comfortable going into because I purposefully try to stay away from political issues on this podcast. Why? Not because I don't like it, not because I'm not interested, not because I don't feel comfortable talking about it. Quite the contrary. I love uh, politics. Um, I, I'm interested in it. I'm greatly interested in American politics. Um, and I always have been, even as a little kid, even as a, a kind of a dumbo. I was, I was never like a... Um, particularly savvy teenager. I was a terrible student and I wasn't known for being necessarily an intellectual, but I, I actually enjoyed following current events, social issues, political issues. I liked reading the paper and I enjoyed watching the news. I don't know why. I, I like it. I, I am really interested in the kind of foundational activity of American politics. And I always have been. The problem is, is that the general discourse about politics in this country, well, frankly, internationally, really, has gotten so rancid and it has deteriorated to the point that um, I think it's become, <clears throat> I, my voice just cracked, I think it's become a burden for, for all of us to kind of listen to political talk at this point. Um, you're either fetishizing the anger that comes from that type of discussion, or you just get fatigued and angry from listening to it and you don't want to be put in that mindset. I mean, it, it's really a, a lose-lose. Um, I had an opportunity alongside Dr. Drew to work in political talk radio. I worked at uh, 790K ABC here in Los Angeles, a very, very well-known, very well-respected political talk radio outlet. And I did it for two or three years. And I got fed up because it's just there's no value at least when it comes to popularity which look the entertainment industry at every level is a popularity contest and people don't like hearing nuanced kind of very calm very measured conversation um and i don't want to engage in divisive bickering so i i made a, a conscious effort when i started doing mikey likes you that i was going to stay away from that not because I'm scared, not because I don't like it, but because I feel like I, res I wanted to always respect the audience. And I feel like the best way to respect an audience in 2020 is to stay away from that stuff because 
it doesn't regardless of the content it generally doesn't bring about happy feelings but dr drew is a medical professional a board certified physician regardless of what anyone else out the, his critics like to think he is a real doctor and he is a real doctor who has been at the forefront of working at infectious diseases. In fact, he worked alongside Dr. Fauci very closely with HIV and AIDS in the 80s and early 90s. He has gotten himself in hot water because of his controversial take, controversial takes on COVID-19. Because he had gotten himself in hot water, because he had gotten uh, he had taken a very hot take at the very beginning of the lockdown, something that was it was a, a, an opinion that was contrary to a lot of the government and a lot of um, medical professionals that were in front of a television camera or a microphone. He's had to really double down on his investigation, his research, and his focus on COVID-19. Dr. Drew and I have an amazing relationship. We love each other professionally and personally. We genuinely do. I felt like this was a perfect forum for me to take the time to talk to him about not only the media and how they've handled COVID-19 and the subsequent lockdown and the reactions, but also medical issues that have come up that are concerning to him, how politics and how social bias has tainted the way that doctors are even capable of dealing with this virus. I'm not a guy who has, I want to make it very clear, I don't have a bias or an agenda when it comes to the lockdown or anything. If the government says wear a mask, wear a fucking mask. That's my take. Whatever we can do to get out of this quickly, whatever we can do to make the lion's share of America healthier and happier quickly, that's what I want. But I have also been a member of the media for a long time. I was lucky enough to work at really big mainstream media outlets with some of them with three initials as their title (laughs) Um, and are well-known in the cable news industry. Um, And I can tell you firsthand that modern news is much more about entertainment and much more about getting ratings than it is about informing the public. And that has become a dangerous issue. So I do want to directly kind of talk about that. And that's what Dr. Drew and I do. He is not, he is probably the best person in the world to talk about this um, because he is not only a doctor, a real MD, he is also a media celebrity. So the guy has firsthand real-world experience in both things that we kind of wanted to dive into. And that is at the basis of a lot of what we talk about. We certainly talk about other things, but I did – I steered clear of talking about COVID this whole time. Now I'm doing it. I'm doing it with Drew because I do feel like we are going to have a different conversation than a lot of the places – that are having conversations, especially in the health and fitness world, because it's either, hey, man, it's all bullshit. It's all a media conspiracy. We can handle this with with uh, holistic by holistic means. And the government's out to get you. And Bill Gates is is going to kill us all. Or it's, hey, your personal freedoms don't fucking matter. Wear your masks. You're stupid if you don't. And everyone needs to be locked down for 5000 years. And uh, you're stupid if you don't agree. I don't feel either way. I just want what's best for everybody. And I'm, I'm actually positive that Dr. Drew feels the same way. So here you go. I believe a very measured, balanced, nuanced conversation about COVID-19 and the subsequent lockdown with Dr. Drew Pinsky. But first, let's talk about betting. Yeah. Someone said NBA. I'm pretty sure it was me. How about Major League Baseball. How about NHL? It's all in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Last week, I talked about how you shouldn't bet with your heart. You should bet with your brain because the Lakers have got me in trouble. Well, boom. The pendulum has swung back my way, ain't it? 
So take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on, my friend. And there is always the online casino 24 hours a day. That bitch never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online. Your online sports book experts. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm welcoming the man, my my oftentimes mentor, my many times lover, Dr. Drew Pinsky. Not so much many times, but oftentimes. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, with some frequency. How are you getting through this uh, pandemic? I I guess well, honestly. Like, I think I mean, when I look at, like, some of my friends who are small business owners and stuff, yes. I think I'm really fortunate. Mm. You know, how about you guys? Um, it sucks, and it's it's and it's overkill, and I and I see uh, idiocracy everywhere. But um, you know, we move on, we keep pushing. What I is like the French? When I do podcasts all day, I, I, I listen, like, I don't disagree. But what is that in your opinion? Well, hang on, but when I when I when I do podcasts all day, I feel like I'm part of the French underground trying to push out you know, information to make sense of things and keep people sane and stay unified and not, not, right. not unravel. No, uh, I actually said that to my wife uh, last week. We were talking about it. I was like, if we're going to make, make, make this a positive somehow, which is going to be tough, we got to look at like the French Revolution because it could very easily go to like Nazi Germany, you know? Yeah. Well, French Revolution was did not have a good outcome. So in the know, long the, run, right. But but the establishment of like the third estate and you know that initial banding together of the of the public, you know, that's kind of what I was looking for. Yeah. I well I, I think a, a perhaps a better way to look at it is sort of a Hegelian perspective. Like when there's a there's a movement of one direction, there's a counterforce, and you write a, you end up with a synthesis that's an improvement. And that's how history. Yeah, that's a, yeah, you're probably right. That's a very reasonable way of looking at it. And so I get that that's that's what I'm looking for. I but thus far I've not seen what the pushback is really. I don't know quite what this. So I don't know what the synthesis is going to be like. But I assume it's going to be good. Better. Right, my anyway, question to you is, I I don't in any way fault the government, whether it be state, local, or federal. I don't in any way fault them for the initial. Lockdown and response. Agreed. Agreed. Because everyone was confused and super scared. Yeah. And the information that they were given at that time, you know, they're analyzing places like Italy and China and Korea, and they go, dude, we got to do something. And yes. it's better to hedge our bets to be overly safe than overly um, kind of uh, dangerous about it. Cavalier, right? I completely, I completely agree. And when it happened, I, I stated publicly, I said, this is excessive, but it's the fog of war. I understand the leader's job is to prepare for the worst case scenario. So let's get behind him. Let's let's do it. Let's all do this together. Then it became increasingly clear that lockdown not only wasn't necessary, might be the <laughs> might be a bad idea. At least you know, at least the way it plays, it's it's the way it sort of um, is actualized. You know, in that in that the majority of transmission occurs in the home. Right. And it turns right. out that being outdoors and you know being in UV light much much better. And so we should be encouraging that sort of thing. Turns out masks work, uh, work really well, but we're, no one's using masks in the home. So people should be using masks and distancing outside of the home. And lo and behold, we've got the summer um, outbreak under control. I mean, it's really, it's plummeting right now. I mean, it's really, you know, on the way up, it's like, it was staggering numbers. I want to hear the word plummeting on the way down. <laughs> they're they're going to use, use hyperbole on the way up. I want hyperbole on the way down. Well, okay. I think you zeroed in on one of the problems. There is so much hyperbole, but in both directions. You know, you're going to hear Wall Street Journal and and Fox News and you know Ben Shapiro and the Daily Wire. They're gonna they're gonna have consistent updates about the plummeting numbers now. But CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times they're going to have nothing but talk about the the rising numbers uh, three or four weeks ago. But yet, no, 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 no. They have a new way. The they have a new way of doing it. The, it. It's it's the numbers are plummeting, but but Louisiana and Florida and and Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia are struggling to get it under control. And now there's a storm that's going to prevent them from getting the getting this under control because yeah. they're going to have to go to shelters and they're going to expose each other. There's the panic porn. So the panic porn is what I have real trouble with. You and I both. That's what, I, that's what I'm. 
deeply concerned about. I mean, in, in LA County, we, and that's why, by the way, Mike, that's why I was pushing back so hard at the beginning. I could see the panic porn. I could see it. You know, I, I mean, it was just insane to me the way they were reporting this thing in the beginning. And so I pushed back and then I pushed back too hard. And that was my mistake. Well, we, it's in LA County, you've got 4,000 cases today to 1,000. You have a weird responsibility in that you're not just an MD. You're like a super well-known public figure. Mm-hmm. And you can't talk to the public like you can talk to your patients. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I understand. But but I was trying to get everyone to – I could see the effects of the panic being worse than the actual outbreak. And, the, and that is now being borne out in the mental health data. So we're going to see suicide and overdoses rivaling COVID, COVID deaths. And that if you, okay. add, if you add the mental health deaths to the, the death and morbidity from delayed medical treatment, people are afraid to go to the hospital, afraid to go to the doctor, afraid to get their vaccine therapies. That, if you add those two together, you've easily got a number that rivals COVID. Do you think, Drew, um, that there should be some culpability no, I don't think culpability is a good word. I, already, already, I, I will take issue with that. This was a difficult. Uh, I don't fault anybody for any of the decisions they made. Right? Wait, wait, hold on, though. Hold on. Yeah. I'm not talking about culpability with the government. All right. I'm talking about culpability with certain media outlets, and I don't want to be that guy and start naming names and and pretend like I have some agenda. But I do think, like, as a as an objective person, do you think there should be some culpability with media outlets? really well-respected, really um, ubiquitous ones that don't report the fact that the mental health numbers are equally, if not more dangerous than what we're seeing from the actual virus? Um, I don't know. I, well, let's see. Let's see how it, play, how they, how it plays out. I, I've noticed that m- most networks are giving a passing nod to the numbers because they're pretty dramatic. And uh, just last week, the... Uh, the SAMHSA, which is the uh, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration of the government, came out with some very strong statements based on the CDC numbers in uh, June, I think it was, that, you know, that this is a catastrophe, essentially what they were saying. And the press did report, Sam, because you can't ignore, SAMHSA does not speak on dramatic terms. This was a highly unusual statement, in my opinion. And the press did report it. It just didn't go anywhere. And can I blame the press for that? That's more us. You know, as, as generally speaking, I, I, I like to put the responsibility in the viewers. I mean, we should be, we should be voting with our feet and our, and our channel changers. We should, we should leave these, you know, cable and otherwise news agencies behind to information that we can rely on, which is hard to find right now. Yeah. And by the way, because I'm an independent, I see, I see the craziness on both sides. You know, it's really I, easy. I, I do too. And, I, you know, that's, that's always got to be taken into account, you know, when someone is going to have a, a, an actual opinion, like a, like a bi- I don't want to say bias, but an, an agenda-based opinion that they're trying to drive forward a social or political uh, um, message. Um, I do think that there has to be, especially in like the Trump age, there has to be some acknowledgement that this is going on on both sides. Like I am playing for a team and I am promoting my team right now. And there is another team that has a different message, you know, but let's, let's all be honest about it. We're, 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 we're jockeying to get our team's message across. I guess so, which is pretty crazy. That's not what news, that wasn't news last time I checked, but it, 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 was, it was like, and, but also I, I think you and I both, you much more so than I, um, because I had a, a much more limited um, exposure to mainstream media as as a as an actual member of the mainstream media. But you did for a long time working for CNN. In you a, were in on those very, shows. You were uh, on those profile capacity. You were on those shows with me. You remember what it was like? I, I was. I was. But I wasn't someone who consistently had to like answer to the to the to the man, you know, and yeah. you were, you were a big time high paid employee. I think that the stakes were higher for you and therefore your responsibilities were, were higher. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I think you and I do have that different aspect of, I mean, or that different perspective because we've seen it and that people really need to understand that modern media, and this is not a political, this is not a partisan statement because it goes in both directions easily. But modern media really is based in entertainment much more so than yeah. it is in, form, in, in informing. That's true. 
That's true. We're just they're just trying to capture eyes. That's all they're doing. Right. They don't care how they do it. Now we tried to be moderate and we tried to show all sides. And if, if my show was still on HLN or CNN, we'd be killing it because people would be hungry for this kind of thing. It seems to me. I wonder, um, and I'm I'm sure you're kind of a little bit handcuffed in even answering this honestly, but I wonder if you'd be able to do the show you'd want to do in the modern pandemic think, kind of I, age. I think I think so. I think so because we didn't. We would have been unique because we didn't take a position. You know what I mean? We we sort of we tried to just create discussion and you know, frankly conflict around what was going on. Right. And so that you, that you was really so you didn't take a side, and I always respected that about that show, and that was what made it so enjoyable to do. But yeah. I don't see a lot of um, medical professionals, uh, uh, um, respected medical professionals with a mainstream outlet where they can freely say that what's going on isn't, isn't great, isn't, you know, kosher. That's not really, I mean, most people are not afforded that. I mean, I even saw Bill Maher, who makes no apologies about being a very liberal guy. I saw him have an MD on the show who was saying that, look, the, the, the reaction to the virus is, is much more dangerous than the virus itself. And, and Bill ended the interview by saying, man, it's so – it's such a shame that you're, you're relegated to only going on Fox News because no one else will let you say that. That's right. That's exactly right. That, that's the world we're in now. That's true. You can't, you can't have differing opinions. And people think you're paid to go on the news. You are not paid to go on the news. You are, you are invited, unpaid, uh, and certain net outlets don't, will not invite you, will not allow you to come on in. And it's, it's, you know, if you're like, for me, I was talking about homelessness. The only place I could talk about it was on Fox news. So I went on Fox news and not that I was a Fox news person or that I was towing their line or that I was paid by them. Cause I was not right. Um, that was that. That's very then, strange, man. And it's, it's, it's that to me is much more concerning than anything, even more concerning than the mental health numbers, the, the, the virus uh, deaths to me, it's like the erosion of, real open political conversation and social conversation it's like that's really dangerous to the way of america study life. your history I mean, study read the gulag archipelagos study your history it's happened before I, I i what's ringing in my head i was watching a thing about uh the weimar republic or something with this uh, german historian he kept saying he goes it happened here it happened here in germany really smart people did this thing it could happen anywhere and i thought you know, here we go. It's happening. Look what's happening here right now. Yeah. Do you also, I mean, I want to, I want to touch on something that I definitely think you're one of the best people in the whole wide world to talk to about this. Right. And I've talked about it a lot um, because I am a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm in recovery. I take my recovery seriously mm-hmm. and I am blessed, really blessed to be uh, because of being a public figure for a long time and being open about recovery, a lot of people reach out to me. A lot of people reach out to me, people that I know personally and then people that I don't know via the internet and, and social media. And they ask me questions about recovery and addiction and they're in different stages of their disease. And I am really, 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 really concerned that we're in a world right now because of the the lockdown yeah. where every liquor store is open yeah. And there's zero AA meetings to go to. That's right. a very so you, strange, you, dangerous kind of combination. Well, well, don't worry. The cannabis places are open too. So yep. you can always do that. So, so yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's a, it's amazing. It's, it, it turned out initially not to be as bad as I thought it would be in the sense that the zoom meetings really did step up and really did help people. Yeah. But zoom is not a substitute for in the flesh uh, discourse. And, and two bodies in space, you know, relating to each other. So we have to get back to in-person meetings. We have to. And, and I would encourage any of you who are in recovery and doing Zoom meetings, try to get a coffee group together. You're, you're allowed to go out and sit in a restaurant. Go do it. Sit there with some of your recovery peers. And um, you can sit outside, whatever. But, sit, you know, gather with your peers. Um, do not isolate. I mean, think about it, Mike. Think about <laughs> how isolation is the... Is the uh, you know, is the jet fuel of, of addiction and isolation is what people are being required to do at least. Well, by the way, the other thing you need to know is that California is different than the rest of the country. It's I've been around now. I've been to five different states and it's astonishing how messed up California is in terms of the government 
wag, wagging its finger at you, threatening to shut you down, threatening to isolate in place. I mean, every day, an hour from a mayor and a governor, unheard of throughout the country. You go elsewhere, and they're mostly uh, encouraging mask wearing, and let's get back to business, and let's go to school. That's mostly what you see. And, you know, I hate to be that guy, but do you think that that's purely political? I got, I don't know. It's just either that or extremely problematic leadership. I mean, like people who really don't know what they're doing. And, and I'm, I'm ex- kind of thinking the latter more than anything. I mean, they are really, they're essentially making medical decisions from on high. I mean, they're using what are called non-pharmacological interventions. And anyone who's making a medical decision who is, has experience and training knows that every time you make a decision, there are untoward consequences and you plan for them and you balance your decision-making against them. They are doing nothing of the kind. They're forging ahead with these extraordinarily, you know, over-the-top rhetorical positions that aren't reflective of reality. The latest thing is that you hear from Garcetti, you know, he uses a terrorism scale to tell us where we are, right? You've seen that scale he uses? Invented for terrorism, green, yellow, orange, red, and he keeps going, we're in orange, and I'm going to move it to red, and we're going to shut you down. Every night he says that, even when he says, look, hey, we're making great progress. We moved from 4,000 cases a day to 1,000 cases a day. Doesn't mean anything unless we've done it for two weeks. Okay, sir, what's going to happen at the end of two weeks? Meantime, the meantime, Mayor, four people are dying every day on your goddamn streets. You, you who are who said you were going to make homeless treating homelessness project one. And he's actually being considered for health for HUD uh, housing and urban development by the Biden team, which I find astonishing, astonishing. The person that has had the most horrific track record with homelessness is going to be the HUD secretary. Okay, everybody have at it. It's, it is kind of strange. I mean, it's just so strange. I, what do you? What power do you have as a licensed MD? None. None. Nothing. Nothing. I can see my patients, take care of them, and, and just talk to people. Out, you know, like I said, from the French underground, make sense of the data, calm people down, talk about treatments. There's so many great treatments coming. It's unbelievable. The one thing I've said from the beginning, also, I've said, you know, I've said, listen to Fauci, and I've said the American healthcare system gets all sorts of criticism, but they, no one is better than us at responding to something like this with improvisations and novel treatments and great research. And, oh, my God, there's so much stuff coming now in terms of treating, managing, and understanding the inflammatory component of this disease, the so-called cytokine storm or cytokine activation syndrome. It already is changing how we deal with ICU patients of of all stripes. It's going to change cancer. It's going to change other infectious diseases, particularly viral illnesses. I mean, there are some really interesting novel therapeutics coming I know the latest thing is the convalescent plasma. That's kind of a no-duh and has already been being used everywhere. But some really unique stuff on the what's called the RANTI system, the CCR5 system, the uh, IL-6 inhibitors, uh, and how to use them, where to use them, timing on the use of steroids in, in septic patients, really amazing stuff. And no other country has produced any of this. And, and that's why you're seeing the death rate. You're going to see the death rate fall out of the bed in the next couple of weeks. It's going to go way down. Speaking of treatment, as opposed to uh, what they look at as a potential cure in the future, like a like a, a, a vaccine. vaccine or something. Yeah. I, I I have heard for years because you are so passionate about. It, I'm not I'm not picking on you. I'm not saying that you're you're beating a dead horse. But for many years at Loveline, you would talk about how like Spin Magazine and all these places during the AIDS the up uh, the rise of the AIDS epidemic. They're irresponsible and dangerous reporting of some of the treatments for HIV um, probably cause deaths. And wait, wait, say that again. Say that again. Some of the irresponsible reporting early on in the rise of HIV probably helped fuel the, 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 the death rate with AIDS and HIV because people were erroneously reporting that some of the treatment that doctors were developing was was not effective or was in fact counterproductive right that's one of by the way one of the criticisms i had of that movie the dallas buyers club right they were helpful at the beginning because we had nothing else to offer and like please go go to the dallas buyers club but once we had effective treatments 
they actively undermined our ability to save lives. Right. Uh, it's, it's essentially, the first rumor was that AZ, AZT causes AIDS. Right. You got to remember, even the character in the movie was overdosing on AZT. Yeah, of course. If you overdose on AZT, you're going to get all kinds of horrible side effects. Of course. And I look, I remember that vaguely. I uh, wasn't as obviously in, involved as you were. But then I, again, I heard you talk about it over and over again yeah. throughout um, our time on Loveline. How similar is that now where I have I have personal experience where you visit a licensed medical doctor and he or she will say, um, what are your political leanings? <laughs> and you're like, excuse, what? What do you mean? And it's like, well, hydroxychloroquine for someone who in early detection is really, really effective, but I don't want to say that if you're, you know, super lefty because I might get in trouble. How insane is that? How insane is that? And and my point is all, all physicians everywhere are using hydroxychloroquine to great effect early in the disease, not in the ICU, not in the hospital, not as prophylaxis, early, like first day fever with zinc, people are are using it hand over fist. But and, you, hear, uh, and you, you, you actually hear the and contrary by the way, this is a medication. Think about this, Mike. This is a medication that these same people who have a strong opinion about it learned how to pronounce, learned the name 10 days ago. I've been prescribing it for 35 years. I've never, I've prescribed it a ton, probably a thousand doses before COVID. Used it in all sorts of rheumatic conditions. I've used it for malaria prophylaxis, and I've used chloroquine for malaria prophylaxis, which, by the way, is over the counter in most malaria uh, countries. It's that safe. I was doing my rheumatology continuing medical education last week, and I was astonished to see a question that was asking whether or not you should continue hydroxychloroquine in a pregnant woman. I assumed not. I got the question wrong. They said it's so safe. Even in pregnancy, it should be continued in lupus patients. Wow. That's how I don't know any other medication that that a I've never seen a single side effect from a thousand doses, and B is being advocated to continue during pregnancy. I I don't know of any medicine that fits that profile. That's not aspirin. That's not Tylenol. Uh, it's crazy. That's how safe hydroxychloroquine is, or we used to call it, we call it Plaquenil was the was the the trade name, and and yet people have strong opinions about. What? How? Based on what? The fact that the president how likes many, it. How many times? Yeah. So he likes it. I don't like it. And okay. That's that's very very true. And I don't even think the the farthest lefty liberal a Trump hater can deny that. But in oh, fairness, no, they, they deny it immediately because I've had these conversations. The FDA blah, 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 and they're and they're they're taking away its provisional and then the studies show it's like yeah yeah. It's not good in a hospitalized patient. Yep, it's not good without zinc. Yep, it's not a prophylactic agent. Lots of experience using it early in the illness. And uh, that's it. It well, works. Okay. It seems so, to work. What are we doing? <clears throat> I mean, I, huh? in, in fairness, I, I don't care what you think about President Trump. I try to be as objective as possible about the president. But he has kind of made his own bed in this regard because he has been so inflammatory. Don't you think that he's kind of created an environment where – Oh, yeah. Everything. I'm not. I don't. I don't. I don't think he's not responsible. Right. I think. I think he's he's created his own. What I what I find astonishing though, and I don't. I, I you remember when we were reporting on Trump's campaign, Mike, back at HLM, we were all like confused. Like, what? What do you guys see in this guy? Why do you want him to be president? I mean, that was my. That continues to be some of my like, huh? But uh, what I don't have. And explain this to me. Why don't I have Trump derangement syndrome? Why don't I react violently emotionally to him? I, I see what they're talking about and I don't like it, but I don't have that vitriol that it's, it seems to trigger in some people. Is something the matter with me or something the matter with them? It's something the matter with them. And I don't like to point fingers, but it is because I have the same exact feeling as you. I am not a Trump supporter. I do not apologize or promote his petulance and his immature thin skin. But at the same time, I also like when it comes to public policy and this country and the and the and the the, the, the policy that m makes this country go. I think with my brain and not my heart. Right. And there's a lot of people not doing that. It seems like it, right? 
I, 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 I must be someone with me too that I don't have such. I, I keep trying to look like why am I not reacting so violently? Well, I, I think also you have forty years of of absolute training in being a mathematical analytic thinker and divorcing yourself from your emotions. I guess so. I mean, I, but I still usually have emotions if something should be, you know what I mean? If something should, I should be reacting to something. I guess, and, I guess. I mean, he, my, he does the, Trump does these things. And, uh, and what I always think to myself was like, yeah, that's him. It, it's, uh, and, and the people with Trump derangement go, oh my God, he's unpredictable. He's going to, next he'll, they'll push the nuclear. I know, no, no, no. I, he does all, he's never different. He's always the same. Everything about him to me looks just, I don't like, I don't like the tweeting. I don't like the rhetoric. I don't like the lack of ability to sort of bring us together. I, I don't like that, but I don't feel like there's something completely unpredictable about him. It seems highly predictable to me. He's, he's maybe the most predictable. Yeah. Politician. Maybe, maybe that's the issue, Mike. Maybe you know it's exactly what's, and he never, ever gave us a false bag of goods. He's always yeah. an incredibly yeah. petulant asshole. You yeah. know, there's never from the before the before the campaign, during it, the run up to 2016 and during his presidency, he has remained consistent and no one can deny that. Yeah. And and, and I guess that that lack of that, that feeling of this may be the core issue, that feeling of out of controlness and unpredictability is something I don't have. And maybe people that react to him so violently feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, you're right. And I also, maybe there are, I, I know, look, I'll use myself as an example. There are people that I don't, don't like much uh, as people, you know, in the public spotlight, I don't know them, but I don't like them. Certain celebrities, musicians, whatever. And I just go, ah, well, that guy's, that guy's kind of a dick. And I shrug my shoulders. There are other people, yeah. something about them and the way yeah. that they react with me and my yeah. personal experience where I go, fuck that guy. Fuck. Yeah. Her. That interesting. Yeah. Do you want to, so you can you, you, know, can you share that their, their makeup and Trump, it mixes in a way that it's really, yeah. really toxic. Yeah. Can, can you share one of those people uh, in your own case that, that you feel comfortable talking about? So we can kind of drill into it a little bit. Um, let me think. Usually it's something about ourselves, frankly. Yes, that we absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of a good one, I mean, but you know me, Drew, and I'm not just trying to say this. I mean, I think you can support this. I'm not a really confrontational guy. I don't yeah. hate much, you know, no, I don't, no. that's I, why I'd be interested to drill into it. Cause I can't, but there, I can't, but there I are can't people, who that person would be. Okay. Um, Jennifer Lopez. Really? There's a lot of divas. Interesting. There's a lot of divas in the world and there's a lot of female celebrities and pop stars that think their shit don't stink. Something about the fact that J-Lo also, because she has this incredible reputation of being a diva, um, and, I, and I've heard it not just from tabloids, but like the same people that are the crew for Dancing with the Stars, are, a lot of that crew is also crew for um, American Idol. So I got it from like camera guys and gaffers and stuff. They told me a lot of those rumors, they're true. Like she is really, really difficult to work with. When she combines it with like I'm just Jenny from the block, I'm just a Puerto Rican okay. girl from the hood. Uh, okay. I'm still the yeah. same well, girl. Then, you must be pissed at Ellen too, then. Not at all. Not at all. See, it's the same thing though, right? She not really because part. Ellen has Ellen ever really tried to be like I'm everybody's best friend. Yes, girl? I'm happy, Ellen. I dance. I love everybody. I'm. It's almost. It's almost saccharine sweet on on the air, and that's what it stands out against. That's what you drive Adam crazy. See, she. It's Ellen that drives Adam crazy. Yeah, I, look, look, that, that makes sense. That's a reasonable take. My yeah. whole thing with Ellen, though, is that I guess maybe because I have actual personal experience with like talk shows. Yeah. All the shit that they're pinning on Ellen. I go like that's not really within her control, and she has right, a daily fucking right. show to do. She has so yeah. much on her plate. Yeah, she's not responsible for being super nice to everybody around her. She's responsible yeah. for getting a good show on the air every day. Yeah, like I guess I can empathize a little more with. with I, I completely, I completely agree with you, and, and I and I and I share that take on it. But but Adam still doesn't like the the overly sweet presentation and the the harsher harsher behind the scenes. Uh, attitude, even though I would defend her too. I completely agree with you. 
Uh, and I would, so what you're saying is Jennifer Lopez is the same, but it's not a defensible position for her. It's just being a diva. Right, right, right. And, and well, and by the way, Mariah Carey, maybe even more, 10 times more of a diva. The reason it doesn't bother me is because from day one, she's been fucking having people carry her on a bed like Cleopatra and doing interviews from a bordello. You know what I mean? Whereas, you know, and her songs are these grandiose things. She's always been consistent about it. She's like, yeah, I'm a diva, you know, and Lady Gaga, for instance, I, I'm a big fan of her because from day one, she I, I did an interview with her in Toronto for uh, A Star is Born. And she's like, yeah, well, you know. I'm not normal and normal life isn't for me. I'm exceptionally wealthy and famous and I wear meat suits and stuff. And I know <laughs> that I've, I've created a pocket for me to be really abnormal. And I go, well, okay, listen, I, I ain't going to shit on you one bit because you yeah. are so self-aware. And so the fact that Jennifer that Lopez always her? tries to push this narrative that she's, yeah, I'm just a normal girl yeah, like you. Yeah. I'm just the same little Puerto Rican girl, you know, smacking right. my gum on the street corner in the Bronx. Yeah. It's like, no, you're not. You're a fucking, you're, that, that mother, that, I guess, I guess, um, disingenuous nature really bugs me the most. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And how did you get Gaga to the point where she was admitting that kind of thing? Well, because I, I talked to her about, um, we were talking about the movie and everything. And then I just happened to bring up that I was at a Dodger game where she was there and she showed, and they, you know how they do like at Dodger games, they flash the celebrities in the crowd on the screen and everybody goes, yeah, all right, Tom Hanks. Yeah. Awesome. You know, Jim Jeffries. And then they, they flashed to uh, Lady Gaga and everyone, there was like immediately people cheered cause she's, you know, a big star, but there was immediately like this, um, uh, tabloid f- uh, backfire because she was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Oh. And they're like, Lady Gaga wearing jeans and a t-shirt. This is what it... And I go, this, is it bother you that you can't just walk outside in sweatpants? And she's like, no, no, I have I made this world. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can't be bothered by this. I fucking wore a meat suit to a... To a to a, uh, yeah. an award show. She's like, oh. I created the world where I come from Mars. I can't be upset about the fact that people want to see me as this other this otherworldly thing because frankly I'm not normal and I don't live a normal life and I was like fucking hey wow That's <laughs> some of the most self aware shit I've ever heard she she seems but she seems like really emotionally dysregulated and overwhelmed a lot of the time which I, I hate to see. Can you can you imagine anybody being as famous as her and not being a little bit? Yeah, I can, uh, but not the way she did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I the, I've noticed I've noticed there. It's a, that's a common phenomenon, and the differentiating feature seems to be people who've had a job and a life before they got famous versus not. If you've yeah. worked in the world, you you're grateful for everything, and you understand your you know, you're not all that shit and you're just another person. And, uh, if you have emotional issues, you go get treatment like anybody else, as opposed to what happens when people are famous from the beginning, that, that tends to be problematic for people. I guess what, what I don't like is when people don't own it, when they create a public persona that oftentimes is very different than their real self, or they create a public persona that is very similar. It is essentially congruent with who they really are. And they don't live up to it. Um, uh, I can think of a – okay, here's one. Um, Alec Baldwin doesn't bother me one bit. Bill O'Reilly drives me fucking nuts. And what does he do? What does Bill O'Reilly, O'Reilly do? Um, an excellent broadcaster, someone that professionally I respect very much. He's sharp, eloquent, always well-prepared. He's very good at what he does. But Bill O'Reilly always says that like, hey, I'm just a guy from Long Island. You oh. celebrity, you coastal yeah. celebrities with your fancy restaurants and your the 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 and your yeah, like, yeah. I drive a Buick. I'm a I'm a man of the people. And he's the same fucking asshole ordering champagne at Nobu. I've oh, seen yeah. him. You know yeah. what I'm saying? He's oh, yeah. in the front row at the Knicks game expecting special treatment. And when shit goes haywire on the show, we all heard the I'll fucking do it live. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Alec yeah. Baldwin, on the other hand. Uh, has has these outbursts. Mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin consistently and constantly has gone. I got anger issues, and I definitely need to work on myself. And yeah. I and I just hope people can forgive me because yeah, it's problematic, you know. And yeah. you and I have talked to Alec Baldwin in person. He's he's actually a really smart, nice guy. Oh yeah, but he he's aware, 
and open about the fact that he's like, yeah, I got to regulate my anger better because I, I, I do inappropriate things and I, there's no excuse and I need to work on myself. So you're in Venice. Yeah. Yes. Or it's nearby. Crazy. Yeah. And uh, how's the homeless thing then? It's, you know, it's always been bad. But now but it's ridiculous, it's, right? The pandemic has made it worse than ever. It's, it's, it's cr- quite frankly unbelievable, you know, and it's heartbreaking. Well, and what's the average, what we, if you were to just throw a dart into a homeless encampment, what would be the pathologies that you would see in that person that you hit with the dart? Uh, a lot of like schizophrenia, personality disorder, and unbelievable amounts of addiction. Oh, there you go. That's it. Well, we just get them a home. It'll take care of everything. Yeah. They're no, homeless. No, 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 you no, no, get them a home and that'll take care of it. Right, Mike? Yeah. And it's so wrong. And I will tell you, man, I, I this isn't something that I suspect. This is something that I know because of my life. This is my life experience. If I didn't grow up in San Marino with parents that were still together and yeah. made an effort to be loving and caring and had uh, a dad who made a lot of money and was willing to wipe my ass every time I fucked up. I would be living on the street or Absolutely. I would be in jail. Do you understand? Like the, a, a lot of what separates me with a great career living in Venice in a house and what and, and the dude who is living on the streets in Venice with with, you know, shitting his pants. A lot of what separates us is the zip code I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and people really need to understand that, like, if you have the disease of addiction and you have no support group, no resource, you don't have money to get into a facility, you yeah. are fucked. Yeah. And that yeah. is the number one thing that needs to be dealt with before you talk about a home, before you talk about uh, food and shelter. You yeah. need to understand that if until that disease gets dealt with, you can make no headway. Okay. So that given the given that we both understand that to be true that the term homeless is a complete sham term, what should we be doing? Well, okay, first first things first, people, the, the public, you guys need to, you guys and gals need to separate the person who's living in their car because they just got evicted and the person who's living on the street for, Chron- for years. Chronically. Now, the, the, the one in the car or the one that just you know, lost their apartment stuff, on average – spends three months on the street because there's tons of resources if you don't have mental illness and you can use the resources, tons of them. So you can get off the street pretty readily, pretty easily um, if you use the resources and the data shows that. And that's probably 20% of the people on the street at any given moment. That's not the population you and I are talking about. Right. And, and I, I just need people to understand there is a, a, a glaring difference and they need to be separated because yeah. the shelters for the, the abused women who are escaping, you know, an abusive relationship or the single moms who are out on the street who can't who couldn't make rent. Yeah. That that community can definitely benefit from the social services and the and the and the shelters and, and, and all that. And, and a home. Yeah. Like let us let us establish that. Yeah. Yeah. But the people, the guy who thinks he's Jesus eating his shit on the corner in Venice here. You're you're not helping him with any. You can put him in the fucking Ritz Carlton. It's not right. going to make a, a lick of difference. Right. That's right. Therefore, what should we do? Um. I think. Should we do what every other country on earth does with addiction and mental illness? And what's that? Puts them in environments where they can get care. Well, okay. Take so, them off the street and encourage them into environments where they can get care. That, that, that sounds of, great. Which you have tons of. But Drew, you and I both know the lion's share of, of addicts aren't going to do that on their own. Right. So you have to say you can't live on the street. You have to say that. Yeah. And you have to say you can live here. And whatever that is, let's set up an account. Let's do something. We could set up all kinds of things for them. But you cannot live on the street. If you say you can live on the street, you can do drugs, you can steal to support your habit, you can traffic in drugs, which is the, is the state of affairs in California. Right. Now it's on. People are going to die. Yeah, by this yeah you're, you're right. I, and I, I personally believe, and I have a hard time saying this because I'm such, you know, I am, I'm a real, actual, card-carrying libertarian. I believe so yeah. deeply in personal freedoms. But I, I think medical doctors need more, more power to be able to say, like, no, 
this person needs needs to be in an well, institution let's, of some let's, sort. Let's just look at other brain conditions. Right. Let's just take, just again throw a dart and hit other brain conditions. Oh, dementia. Should we leave the dementia patients on the street? No, you shouldn't. But 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 Why? Drew. Why not? Do, Why not? Do you have the power as a medical doctor to take someone with dementia even if they don't want it? Absolutely, it's quick a one hundred percent. Okay, it's quick and easy, it's, and that's why you don't see dementia patients living on, wandering around the street. It's considered cruel. It's considered it's considered elder abuse if you don't actively treat them aggressively for their condition. So think how insane that that some brain conditions you can't touch with the same manifestations, just a different disease. Confusion, delusions, agitations, unable to care for yourself. That class, nope, can't touch. This class, if you don't get on them, you're guilty of a crime. Right. How insane is that? Well, okay. How about uh, – well, then, okay, why? Why is a poor addict not considered someone that needs immediate – Hey, man, he's choosing to do drugs. Who's, who are you to say that he can't choose to do drugs? It's his choice, man. Well, okay, we're not saying he can't choose to do drugs. I, I can choose to do drugs today too, but I – I can also, because I've lived a very blessed life, can choose to go get treatment when I need it. Mm-hmm. That you person cannot your do disease, that. You and I'm saying, why can we not just say, listen, this person can't afford or do shit about filling out paperwork when it comes to getting treatment for their addiction. They, mm-hmm. We need, I know it sounds bad, but like maybe some cops go over there with some handcuffs and fucking throw them in a medical facility. That's what we did with Steve-O. That's why he's alive today. But Steve-O had personal friends I'm just saying, with the decide same to intervene. Same I'm saying what happens to the person like you, – you saw the Joker, right? Yeah. OK. A person like the Joker, which is not – I know it's, it's a comic book movie, but at the same time, it, there are a lot of fucking men like that, a lot of men and women who just can't hook on to the, to the normal social circles. They've been fucked since birth, abuse, uh, uh, yeah. abandonment. Um, yep. addiction, everything, all of that has fallen upon them. And they also, on top of that, are broke. How can we not the, – the, how can the trained professionals not have the ability to say, listen, for the for their, for their own safety and for the for safety of the public, we got to grab them and throw them in? Yeah. Why can't we do that? Correct. Why not? I think that, why, honestly, why? I think that that's step one to, to – because Steve-O – Steve was a perfect example, but at the same time, Steve-O – didn't have to have the state come and do it. Steve-O was lucky enough to have people who loved him, lots of people who loved and cared about him who yeah. did that on their own. Well, think is, is but 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 think about how insane that is to say that it's it's loving and caring if people that are concerned about that individual does it, but if the medical system does it, it's abusive and Exactly. And has, think exactly. about that. Because I I make an effort to to interact with the homeless in Venice. Not I don't go. I'm not doing public outreach or anything. I'm not saying I'm an angel patting me on the back. What I'm saying is that when I'm walking with my daughter down the street and a guy's going, I go, hey man, how are you? You know, I just at least try my best to treat them like human beings because they fucking are. Yeah. And every piece of me goes, dude, if I could just talk to this guy for a half hour and hold his hand and walk him down to a treatment center. We could do so much good because he's sitting here at 11 a.m. drinking a 40 ounce and smoking crack. And I I was. At 11 a.m., smoking crack and drinking 40s, so I know, but there wasn't that helping hand to get me there. And all these people on the street, they have one common through through line, and that is they don't have any social support network. It's very- the other thing is, but, but yes, that's true. But the the uh, the warm handshake, I'm all about that. But the warm handshake has to have a little prod behind it to it. Do also going, hey man, you can't live on the street. Can't. Well, do no, it. no, no, no. Don't misunderstand me. My warm handshake would turn into an armbar if it yeah. if he tried to push back. Yeah, and you, you know what and I'm saying. Like, and, and, and I, I would do that out of guilty. caring and love, not out of. And you would be guilty of assault and kidnapping at that. Point. I know, I know, I know. That's and, and that's, but if we're a demented honestly, patient, that's where, that's where the problem is. If we're a demented patient, well, now you can do that. Hmm. It's, it's not. Isn't that crazy? I oh, look. It's well, crazy. We have a re- real weird thing, and and it always gets when you and I talk about this. It always leads me back to the gun argument because I'm not saying I love the fact that we live in a country with millions of guns and and shootings. Of course not. But every single time there's a shooting, a mass shooting, 
everyone's first go-to is we have to blame the gun. And I was like, well, it's a teenager who's been on SSRIs for 19 years and then just got off of them and has been putting Facebook posts up that he's, uh, uh, you know, the Lord and Savior. And really, it's uh, it's the machine that did this or is it mental health, you know, like – yeah. And, and again, no other country treats mental illness the way we do or, or pretends it doesn't exist. Right. It's really too much. It's 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 we, we are going to really destroy ourselves with this one and hurt untold numbers of people. We should not treat brain. If somebody was lying on the street having a heart attack, you would pick them up and take them even if they didn't want to go. Same thing is true with brain disorders. Same thing. Um, yeah. I, well, Drew, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Let's wrap things up by talking uh, buffness. You, you, right. you complain to me that you're not as strong as you uh, would like to be. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Too, too busy, too sad to train. No, no, it's it's too screwed up joints. It's it's on now. I it's heavy, heavy, heavy weightlifting for forty years, and now elbows, shoulders, neck messed up and and it literally is now getting into the kinesiology and function so i can't even like i can't even pull my elbows out to do an incline press and i had to dial down the weights on everything right at least 20 30 percent but what's weird i'm still getting a ton out of it so i've upped the reps a little bit well you uh, you might want to try to hmm. is Staying that, staying in that, lowering the weight. I definitely think that's probably a good idea because look, that's just that's life. You're getting older, and your body can't tolerate lifting heavy anymore. Sucks. I could if I took a little testosterone, but because I have prostate cancer, I can't. And so that really pisses you only me live off. once, Drew. Come on, let's get you on the juice. <laughs> I would love to be. Life is for the living. Um, Amen. Uh, but you know, here's the interesting thing: my my probability of dying from prostate cancer is ten percent, and um, that's higher than covid killing even an 80 year old or a 70 year old oh yeah yeah, and and i consider it a cure so please everybody when you worry about covid if your probability of recovery is 90 percent or better you're going to recover so you'll hear about the 10 percent of the news sure but you're going to recover well i i suggest staying with the lower weight but also increasing your time under tension and slowing everything down getting like like 30 45 second reps Wow. Really, I, really, I will really not, slow. That I promise you I will not do. Why? Uh, because I lived in the through the era in the 70s of when Nautilus, the original Nautilus theory was exactly that. And so I got involved in trying that quite a bit and repeatedly over time, and I got zero out of it. I kept, Well, the only I, reason I said that is maybe, yeah, maybe your makeup of muscle fibers and stuff is just not for that. But right. – that better, is, better that is there's conclusive and ample scientific proof that resistance training in the super, super slow method is is not only much better for your joints and connective tissue, but it actually can be therapeutic for I'm tissue. sure of that. I'm sure. I have no doubt about that. But my sense is I have slowed it down. I have done that. And I've and I've rather than slow down that much each movement, I've done more movements. All right. That's all. Okay. Yeah. Look at you. So, so, and that seems to be more with my muscle physiology then. And so, uh, your gigantic penis is okay? Of course. Of okay. course. Good. And Good. Uh, you've changed, man. <laughs> How? The pictures you send me are very different now. Yeah, that's true. Well, oh, I, listen, I can start sending some some good fun. Oh, my God. No, listen, you've said, uh, you, you, you say they're very different. I pepper you with a prolapse like every third picture. Yeah, I know. That's changed, too. That's gotten more like otherworldly extreme. Like it's yeah. gone actually into like non-human sort of. I'm looking at it going, if that wasn't rushed off the surgery, that's not, that didn't happen. Yeah. That's literally what I look at when I see Well, my, my research has gotten more in depth as time has gone on. I mean, I, like you as a man of science should understand as I've <laughs> more thoroughly dove into that world. And, it's gotten, and, you, and you've forgotten what I like, what I actually like. You seem to have just forgotten that. You, you, you're out of practice there. I get, well, I don't see you every day like I used to. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> you, had it, you had it dialed in. And now it's like, hey man, what happened to you? I'll try. I'll try later. I'll try later okay. today. <laughs> Thank you, Drew. All right, man. Good to talk to you. You're the man. Doctor Drew's the best. If you don't agree, you're wrong. <laughs> yes, that's my fascist take for the day. Is that if you don't agree that Doctor Drew is the best, you are wrong. You should be canceled. DrDrew.com is where you need to go to find out everything. They got the Ask Doctor Drew podcast. He's got the podcast that he does over there. 
um, with Tom Segura and Christina P. at your mom's house, uh, Dr. Drew After Dark, The Dose of Dr. Drew. There's a whole bunch going on in the world of Dr. Drew Pinsky. All you got to do, go to drdrew.com to find out more. And remember, in this crazy mixed up world that makes you think that nobody cares, I do. Be good, people. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.